0: Hey everybody, Mark here. Thanks so much for tuning in. Before we jump into today's conversation, I just want to say a thank you to those that have been serving with online ministry and the online church here at Menlo Church. I'm so grateful to have a team full of people that are putting others before themselves, and sometimes those others are people that they will never ever meet or see in person. They're saying yes to helping change the lives of those that are not only here in the Bay Area, but those that are around the world, and we could not do what we're doing here without them. So if this is at all interesting to you, and this might be the push that you need to say, yes, I want to do and get involved with a team like that, I'd love to hear from you. All you have to do is text us at 650-600-0402. So again, thank you to those that are serving with their time, with their talents. Uh, Thank you to those that are giving and for your generosity, because without that, this could not exist. And so if this is at all interesting to you, let me know. And now let's go ahead and chat with Phil. Welcome to the Menlo Midweek Podcast, everybody. My name is Mark.
1: My name is Jessica. As she took a big As drink of thirsty. coffee.
0: Yep. And we have Phil with us. <laughs> What's up, everybody? The gang's back together. Woo-hoo! We're here. We're doing it.
1: Mark. Yes. We had a Mark replacement last week. Yeah,
0: much an improvement and replacement from the episode that I listened to. That We was should
1: great. do an
2: episode that is Mark Mornishi and Mark Kim, and we could just call it Mark Squared.
1: And Mark Sorner. Oh. <gasps> oh, oh Mark to the power of three. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's uh, a whole uh, podcast the right there. Uh, <laughs> the trinity
2: (laughs) the mark (laughs) markinity
0: where were you i was on a nice refreshing Mm. trip in the mountains of utah the boulder mountains (laughs) never been there before
1: that sounds like a oxymoron the mountains of utah
0: yeah well it was kind of weird because growing up in california and going to the sierras it's like jaggedy pointy mountains yeah with snow all over them Utah is just kind of like you climb up, and then there's a plateau, and you climb up. So it's like we're going to the top of that big flat thing over there, and it's going to be like eleven thousand feet in the air. And I'm like, how? It just, but you're just kind of climbing up wow. the whole time. So it was really fun. Um, the weather was like the last little bit of springtime, where it was kind of cold, kind of windy, kind of mm-hmm. rainy. But then we had a couple of days of really good weather, and just some great fishing. We tried to catch five or six, no, seven different species of fish while we were there. And we caught six of the seven. Oh, nice. So count it. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: And were those, you were telling me about the weird species there. Yes. Was that what you caught?
0: Yeah, I caught a few of the weird ones. They like, Utah manages their fisheries very interestingly. And so they're a very hands-on approach as opposed to a hands-off approach, like what we take here. And so they hybridize a bunch of their trout to make like mutant trout that are, yeah,
1: just like Teenage cr- Mutant Ninja Turtles exactly yeah, 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 these ones
0: yeah. I definitely caught a lot of teenagers and saw some <laughs> of the bigger fish that I wanted to catch but just could not convince
1: them yeah.
0: uh, but yes Caught some really weird ones, and then did it, any of them have nunchucks? None had nunchucks. <laughs> or pizza. But they look yeah, like they yeah. could. They had little bandanas on. They're still in training. <laughs> yeah, yeah still there was in four. There we had a, a red one, one. Had
1: like a blue like one.
0: Foam nunchucks, but yes. like not the real ones yet. You know. Yes.
1: And then there was this little rat running around <laughs> with them. It was exactly. really weird. This is our
0: childhood nostalgia. <laughs> right
1: yep. If you don't know what we're talking about, well, speaking of nostalgia, Google it.
0: We had a childhood yes. series that we're talking about, and we opened up this last weekend. I listened to it on the way home from Utah. No, on the way home from Orange County to here. And I was like, I want to listen to the podcast. But wait, I put the podcast up. So then I had to put the podcast up so that I could listen to it. But I was so glad that I did because it was a really great way to set up the stage and open up the series. And I'm super pumped for it. It's going to be a fun summer. Yeah, I
2: think when we were kind of doing some planning for series development and stuff, there's some series that I think are uniquely Menlo topics that Mm. I think we're just built as a community to not just like have somebody talk about from up front but for our community to absorb and not freak out and I think this is one of those series so I'm thankful for it and having been here now for you know 6 months or so to be able to step into a series like this that that hopefully feels foundational like a kind of thing we're going to be able to reference back to for folks uh, it's really helpful so week one, yeah. one so far so good So how did we come up with the series I
0: mean I know that we have like our normal process is that we have a team that gets together and they They talk about ideas, flesh through maybe, you know, what kind of series that we want to have, whether that's a book study or topical study or something like this, where it's a little bit different for all of us.
2: And Mm -hmm. so, how'd that come about and why'd we land on it for summer? Yeah, so, the summer experience of church uh, is usually one where you're planning series that are a little bit longer in like just series density because it's a longer period of time than sure. you would normally do like a four to six week series. And then you also want to do it in a way that if somebody misses one, because with summer travel, that's quite common that they can show up to another one. And it doesn't feel like they're walking into the third chapter of a book that they didn't start. And so how do you do it in a way that feels in Greek grammar world, punk tillier, uh, and so, I, I think this series was built with both of those things in mind. It let us take kind of a longer narrative arc. It let us do something in a way that, uh, especially for church folks, which are oftentimes the people who come to church in the summer, hmm. um, <laughs> th- something like lots of these stories, they will have some you know, flannel graph version of. They'll have some memory of learning these stories. And that may be the last time that they've ever really thought about or processed them. Um, but then on the like... Flip side, you know, we can hopefully go. Hey, here's what kind of the, the rest of it is, and we'll we'll talk about kind of deconversion and deconstruction. But I think a lot of that comes from just like the fact that we we grow older, but we don't necessarily grow up. We grow mm-hmm. up, but we grow out of our faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, hopefully, giving people permission to acknowledge that and and take some steps to counteract it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was I have to toot my own horn a little bit because I was honored to be invited to that our big you know year-long series planning meeting Mm -hmm. and this was one of my ideas I have been pitching this idea I started in student ministries with my first boss here at Menlo I was like we should like do a deep dive on like the other parts of the stories that we learned growing Mm -hmm. up and I've pitched it and I've pitched and I've pitched it here we are 10 years later and yeah. one of my ideas finally got taken and I am so excited. Yeah. <laughs> I think the series graphic if you haven't seen it turned out yeah, it's really so cool. incredible. I mean you'll yeah you'll see it. Mm-hmm. Um, our bumper video was super fun. Mm-hmm. It's just a fun little like story to set up featuring somebody's wonderful kids Mm -hmm. um and it's just it's like it has the nostalgia feel of like if you grew up in the church in the 80s and 90s or I mean if you grew up in the church period you were taught these stories in a fun usually unique you know engaging way Mm -hmm. whether that's puppets or flannel graphs or I mean I don't even know what did they do before that pictures i mean chalkboards chalkboards
0: Overhead transparency. <laughs> oh, i was a transparency guy i,
1: I was, was too that was bit. middle school using the doing the lyrics yep. 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 yep so yeah this series is super super exciting and uh, i think this first week was a great way to set it up and like not just we're gonna take every story and ruin it for you but like what does that actually look like to dig into these stories and how do you do that yeah
2: well and hopefully with the lens that uh like like i I believe that the Bible is inspired, infallible, and errant in so much as it reflects the original autograph. So, a lot of the, what what that means is uh, obviously we have lots of translations and iterations over time, but um, I I think what sometimes happens when we do series like this is we create a series or you, you read a blog post or a book or something and basically it's like hey, how do we bring how smart we are to how stupid the Bible is? That's the feeling, maybe that's just my skepticism coming to the surface, but uh, I I think our hope is that we can help folks understand that sort of the sandbox of these conversations is much larger, Mm -hmm. that unity does not mean uniformity, that we can can hold to an authoritative understanding of the scriptures and come to different understandings of how to understand and interpret these stories. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that'll be permission giving for folks.
0: Yeah. And you said earlier that Menlo is one of the few spaces in which a message series like this can exist.
2: What, What do you think makes Menlo that place? Hmm. I mean, I think our church is um, uniquely positioned, right? We're in this place of uh, just a rigorous uh, nature of pursuit kind of everywhere, not just not just mm-hmm. faith. I would say uh, just life in general. Somebody walked up to me after a service this weekend and they were like, hey, I'm a physicist. Here's some feedback I have. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, awesome. You know, like nobody's <laughs> taking my word for it in Menlo, you know? Uh, and so you get to have just really great, thoughtful conversations. The number of people that have advanced degrees. And, um, you know, for them, I think, if they're following Jesus, somewhere along the way, they either decided that their faith had to sort of be quarantined in their brain where they couldn't ask these questions, or it would undermine their faith, Hmm. or they've done this work themselves, and they're sort of wondering when the church is going to catch up because they did this already, Uh, but sometimes when they come to church, it still feels like a flannel graph version of some of these core essentials. And so, um, yeah, I I think that's helpful. And And I think even kind of the unchurched community beyond us, if they walk in and we don't Talk about things like this. uh, I think we just feel so culturally tone deaf that it's not helpful. So Mm -hmm. nobody's coming to church in Menlo because they have to. Everybody's coming because they're making a choice. And if somebody is skeptical to faith, um, you know, I think one of the challenges is we have this pretty even split between people that have past church experience and people who have no past church experience. Um, but both of them as adults, I think, kind of need the same thing, which is mm. an intellectually honest and rigorous mm-hmm. pursuit of faith. So, <coughs> yes.
0: And I I loved how in the message you said something, Jess and I were talking about this earlier, a line that you used that basically said, if you don't grow up or growing up with faith, do you remember it, Jess?
1: My, does Phil remember it? I think that's the question. <laughs>
0: Sorry. It was growing with depth. Um, and if our faith yes. doesn't
1: grow up with depth, that's right. we will grow out of it with doubt. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Yep. I love that. And because that, this series isn't just about those that grew up in the church either, and you kind of acknowledge that as well, where whether you did experience this flannel graph faith or this is your first time hearing it, these questions are still relevant. That's mm-hmm. right. And so, I love how we are addressing both audiences but also trying to deepen where we are, whether
2: we're starting here or whether we started 10, 15, 30, 50, 70 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think a big part of, I mean, for me, a big part of preaching, we talked about it before, is this kind of double barreled approach to preaching where you're constantly talking to church people hmm. and unchurch people at the same time. And, uh, you know, there are going to be some messages that tilt one way or another, mm-hmm. uh, but being able to sort of give a nod to like, hey, if you didn't grow up in church and this is weird, I get it. <laughs> like, All right, let's yep. keep going. Yep. Just like continuing to get people on the train with you, uh, I think is super essential if mm-hmm. uh, you want them to continue to engage in the conversation. Mm-hmm. So Definitely.
1: I think one word that maybe you said it in your sermon, maybe not, but it's kind of a big word out there right now is deconstruction. Mm -hmm. Um, So, if you haven't heard that, it's kind of like, you know, you grew up with this faith or this belief or whatever, and as you get older, you're learning a little bit more and you're kind of like, wow, there's actually some stuff that I was taught that maybe wasn't correct or Mm. whether it was taught like the way you read the Bible or the church that you grew up in or the people that you surrounded you with and kind of taking that Down piece by piece and figuring out what the, um, you know, what the truth is or what the reality is. So, do you feel like this? How do we, what's a good question here? How do we deconstruct in a healthy way? And how does that, does that relate to this series even at all? 100%.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it was kind of written with that in mind. I, I would say, um, you know, I, I, nothing's new under the sun. I read that somewhere. And I, I think one of the things that's challenging is that we live in a culture that is so quick to label things. We're mm-hmm. so quick to be like, oh, well, we're, we're the first ones to think about, it. oh, we got it. We, we know the term. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think part of that is sort of the identity politics tribalization of our moment. And so mm-hmm. deconstruction, I, I think, has uh, certainly become somewhat of a social contagion. Um, But but I also think it has existed for way more than this moment. Yeah. Uh, And so, you know, whether that was, you know, in college, somebody challenged your faith and you had to reconcile your faith to your biology class, or you had to figure out as a young professional, what did it mean to um, integrate your faith experience to your current life experience? Or you were in a serious relationship and the Bible had a vision of sexual uh, fulfillment inside a marriage. And you didn't in that moment feel as much pressure to conform to that image as you did the image and pressure that you felt elsewhere. Like we've we've had all of that, mm-hmm. right? And I think now we just have this like kind of bigger category of deconstruction, and and I would say. Um, if this is you going through this, or I think especially a lot of times if you're listening to a podcast like this, it's someone you know mm-hmm. that's going through that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the first step is to just not freak out. Yeah. Like the mm-hmm. the number one, just do not freak out. Uh, I, I also think that if this is somebody you know, I wrote down kind of four potential causes of deconstruction that I think are really important to do the work with that person to understand which of these are we talking about? Because Mm -hmm. oftentimes I think we all bring an assumption of which one of these this person is dealing with. And with that, we bring judgment. Um, And usually it is at least a combination of multiple, Mm -hmm. oftentimes having nothing to do with the thing you're thinking about. I think the first one is painful church experiences, like people Mm -hmm. who have, uh, it's actually not a theological problem. Like I've heard somebody talk about this idea before that they've never talked to someone who's deconstructed where the problem was Jesus, ever, Mm -hmm. like not a single person. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's always some other thing. And a lot of times it's like, abusive church leadership, or they were volunteers for decades and just like were exhausted and they, mm-hmm. they didn't know what to do, or this decreasing institutional trust and they watched one more documentary about another fallen pastor. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I'm sure this is us too. You know, I think that's one category. The second one I think is superficial discipleship. And so, we have actually grown up sort of in the the mega church movement this is a pretty new concept even in the last 50 years um, certainly in the grand scheme of church history but this idea that your entire entire discipleship process is attend church give financially get involved in a group and serve that's that's the entire vision of your discipleship experience Um that is not the entire picture of the discipleship experience of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And so, if that's it, over the over the course of time, you're going to be exposed to things on the internet and social media and, and in a more hyper-connected world where uh, it's going to be tricky to sustain that. The third one, I think, mm-hmm. that we have to admit is sinful justification, uh, that I think our moment is smarter than those stupid people that wrote the Bible, so I know better. Let me reinterpret the Bible based on my 2023 perspective and worldview. Or I go, I just want to do this thing, and so mm-hmm. I need to find a way to rationalize the behavior that I want to choose. Um, And I think all of us have that inside of us. Like before we throw a lot of shade at somebody that's trying to deconstruct, we all, I have that in me. You have that in you, not like Mark, just like you in the collective. (laughs) Um, And then emotional reasoning. I could get into a lot of stuff about that culturally, but the idea that we have communicated as a culture, Uh, that feelings are either safe or unsafe and therefore when I experience discomfort that is unsafe and so therefore I bring emotional reasoning Mm. where I go if I feel bad I must be in a dangerous spot if I Feel good, that must be a good thing. And I bring that to sort of this justification of deconstruction. Uh, It's why a lot of times we talk about things like safe spaces. And Mm -hmm. even some of the most recent research says uh, that when we give trigger warnings or we talk about safe spaces, they're not working, right? And part of that is because emotional reasoning is actually very, very unhealthy. And then the fourth one I would just say, and I mentioned it already, is social contagion. That there's a There's a group maybe, or it's something on social media where it's like, oh, I want to be associated with this tribe. It's fun. It's cool. uh, It's current. And I'm going to jump on board Mm -hmm. with it. And I think how we approach, whether we're dealing with this personally, or we're trying to love and care for someone who's going through this, uh, it really, I think we have to, at a minimum, just ask some questions to figure out which one of these things that we're talking about, because there's a different approach based on the ones we're talking about. Mm.
0: So... Hmm. As as you ran through those, my mind went to those are all pieces of identity of how mm. you can identify or set your perspective about what's around you in order to either you know fit into one of those categories or just to try to interpret the information that we're given, which is we're flooded with that. And so, how can someone set their identity? Yes, I am a Jesus follower. I grew up this way. Um, I have these story. You know, I heard these stories growing up, like the creation story, and now I'm presented with you know, four like Ways that you did in this message, or a billion others, Four of them. yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> lots of them. So, how can I approach that in a way that I can still have my identity as
2: yes, I love Jesus, but I'm mm-hmm. trying to sort this out for myself? Yeah. Well, I think part of it begins with what do you need, right? Mm. Like, there's an inherent tension in all of us in these conversations that isn't always the same, right? So, uh, I got an email. I'm gonna go see if I can find it real quick. I got an email this week from somebody uh, after the message. And they were like, uh, what did they say? Oh, here we go. I want to thank you for Sunday sermon. I wrestle a lot with reconciling my faith with science. The common narrative is that science and the Bible are at odds. The loudest people on both sides Mm -hmm. uh, seem determined to increase this divide using the rationale of their opinions to shout out their opposition. But within my own beliefs, I've never found this divide to be more than superficial. Mm -hmm. I'm an intuition based thinker. To me, part of the genius of the creation story in Genesis is that it remains true in structure compared to the Big Bang Theory, which is the best that science can currently provide. In my own head, I can let the details slide uh, the time scales from science billions of years don't really have much meaning to our limited brains uh, you might as well say it was over all over in six days six days is easier to understand easier <laughs> for a child to understand 6800 years if I summed up all history is easier to understand so it keeps going but I think you know clearly in that context you have somebody that goes I am more comfortable with a level of ambiguity to this conversation mm-hmm. like it's not as big of a deal to me mm-hmm. but if I am uh, let's say evolutionary biologist
1: (laughs) trying to follow (laughs) Jesus like
2: I got a hunch this is a bigger conversation and and we will probably touch pressure points that are different for you Mm -hmm. for different people over the course of the whole summer that's the point of it Mm -hmm. right um this next weekend Adam Hendricks friend of the show um who is just Adam is one of the best hangs like he's such Mm -hmm. a good dude and I love the way he thinks um, I got to review his message for this weekend yesterday. It's excellent. Uh, he is going to talk about um, Noah and a global flood. Mm-hmm. And that's another one for people. It's totally different, mm-hmm. totally different than uh, the sort of origin of the world story. There's so much more uh, emotion to it. Like, oh my goodness, do I really believe? Is this what the Bible actually, what kind of a guy? you know, all those mm-hmm. questions show mm-hmm. up. And so, I think part of it to your point is, What does the integration of this pursuit look like? You don't Mm -hmm. have to wrestle every one of these things down to the ground for your faith to be formed. Part of it is becoming self-aware enough to know, what are those trouble spots? for me. Maybe for you, because of your interest, it's going to be men and women in the Bible and the way mm-hmm. that we see some things that we go, oh, I don't know how to understand or think about that. Or maybe it's um, you know the, the nature of war in the Old Testament, or maybe it's the potential um, disconnect between how God reveals himself in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I, I think part of it is just understanding what some of those pressure points in faith are and uh, understanding the difference. I think when that happens, between the baby and the bathwater, I think sometimes faith deconstruction, when it's unguided, uh, when we don't understand the core essentials, we throw out the baby with the bathwater. When in reality, if somebody said, "Man, I, I'm so I'm so frustrated with the institutional church and this and this and this and another controversy and another cover up and another stupid thing," I'd be like, "Yeah, me too." You know, like <laughs> yeah. that's totally get it. I'm on board. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but if somebody's going, "Hey, I just want to sleep with my girlfriend." Like I just want to move in with my significant other because um, I really want to, and we love each other, and God would God wouldn't want us to be apart. That's emotional reasoning. <laughs> I'm like, mm-hmm. well. I got a document that's a few thousand years old that would say he's got a better way for you to live your life. I mean, you're going to live it however you want, but Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. there's going to be pain involved when we choose to live it outside of his will. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a long answer to a short question, but I think part of it is just acknowledging the fact that you're going to be chasing down tensions that are unique and personal to you, Mm -hmm. and your tensions may be different. Your tensions will be different than mine, Mm -hmm. and that's okay. That's Mm -hmm. totally okay. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Jess?
1: Yeah, I think (laughs) that's great. (laughs) I think the... um, the, when you asked that question, my initial th- re- like reaction was just reminding my, like for me, my biggest thing was re- reminding myself that the people that taught me this are human hmm. and that we get stuff wrong. We interpret the Bible wrong, we read the Bible wrong, and they were doing the best they could with the resources that they had at the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I was ever taught anything biblically wrong. Well, maybe I was, I don't know. But a lot of the stuff that I've been processing through has been more of like the purity culture thing that we all talk about and stuff like that. And just the way like Mm -hmm. that was just, I mean, it still is prevalent today in some ways, some splats, but I think it's so easy to get mad at the way things were, the way that you were taught, Mm -hmm. the church that you grew up in, the Mm -hmm. people that you surrounded yourself, the people your parents put in your life. Mm -hmm. When in reality, it's like that, for the most part, that is what they knew and that was they were doing the best that they could. And so, it's more about, you used this, you talked about this at Christmas actually, Phil, and you used this line again that the Bible is the authority of our faith and Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is the foundation of our faith. And so, for me, that's been the biggest thing. And we did a really cool series last summer called Being Human where it was all just about Jesus. And that's the most important part of it. And so, it's like, yes, it was, it sucks that I'm relearning all these things that I thought I knew and it sucks that there's so many things that I don't understand but in the end like you said like my foundation is Jesus and the way he lived my life er, my life (laughs) the way he lived his life and that's that's the most important thing so when we put our focus on that and who he was and what he believed in and what he stood up for and who he stood up for that's that's the end all be all to me.
2: And I think it's really important that um, that's well said. I think it's really important that we don't. Uh, you know, I, I know there's like red letter Christians, right? That are like, I, I only believe my my theology is only in what Jesus Himself said. Mm. Um, and I think that is a, a challenging theological worldview because Jesus Himself affirms the Hebrew Scriptures, right? Um, and I would say that church history regularly affirms the veracity, consistency, and supernatural nature of the New Testament scriptures. Um, so, th- you know, if that's you, that's, I totally get it. But I think what's, what's really hard is, um, you know, I've heard it described as like a house of cards. And if the house of cards of my faith is built on a six-day literal creation or a global mm-hmm. flood or, you know, insert reference, and then I have one conversation with one person... <laughs> that that challenges my thinking and my faith has to become so rigid so ready to fight for its unique and personal interpretation nobody else can be right there can be no variety or turning of of uh, perspective and i would argue we're seeing that on a national scale right now at Mm -hmm. a denominational level at times where you're just like you're like we're gonna we're gonna lose unity over this like Mm -hmm. we're gonna we're gonna blow up over that you know um I think that becomes really difficult when in reality, if you go, hey, the church grew at at maybe its fastest rate in history Mm -hmm. before Tabiblia, before the 66 books that we understand as the Bible today was even recognized. Mm -hmm. And how did it do it? Because of the testimony of a group of people that were around Jesus. Mm -hmm. And because of the fact that he came and lived a perfect life, died on our behalf, and then really did come back from the dead. That's what did it. Like, that's what mm-hmm. that's what was the catalyst. And so, uh, I think understanding that is our origin. Then when somebody goes, well, I'm not sure about a global flood. I'm not sure about seven-day creation. Cool. Like, great. Like, my faith, Yeah. It, it, is, it is not founded on those ideas. Now, they are the authority for my life, and I'm going to try and wrestle them down to the ground and grow deeper in my understanding of them. And I think, hopefully, this summer, what you'll discover is, there are thoughtful men and women who have pursued Jesus for a long time that have answers and investigations for all of these conversations. Mm-hmm. This idea that, and, and I, I didn't say this line. I thought of it after the weekend. I, I think a lot of Christ, or a lot of non Christians today. Here's what they feel like: the choices. I can either be a smart atheist or a stupid Christian. Like those are my choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope what this series reveals is that that's just not true. There are stupid atheists and there are smart Christians, you know, and <laughs> uh, they're not mutually exclusive. And so, if it's just, I need to uh, pursue that more, I think that's great. I also think what you talked about um, around this idea, Jess, of, of the people were doing the best that they could. Uh, I, I heard it described this way recently in a podcast uh, that sometimes as Christians, uh, we have forgotten in America, uh, our ideas and the way we think about things is formed over time. It is. There's mm-hmm. no way around it. And I think sometimes we think about it like they're hatched, like they're just mm-hmm. created in a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to be kind of uncomfortable, there's a book, I don't agree with every page of it, uh, called Jesus and John Wayne.
1: Oh, I've heard. And of it's really yeah. kind
2: of like a history textbook of like, how did we get here? Uh, and so it's not necessarily descriptive of any individual church or certainly not Menlo. But I would say if you're kind of looking around and you're like, how did evangelicalism become a swear word in America? <laughs> uh, that yeah. book can be really, uh, really helpful in just kind of diagnosing some of that. Mm. So for whatever it's
1: worth. Yeah. I've heard that's a good book. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. I think a, a lot too. Um, We were taught to not question the Bible, not question your faith, don't question your pastors. And I actually saw this Instagram post this morning and I posted it and I'm assuming it's correct. So maybe you'll know if it is. (laughs) In the gospels, Jesus is asked 187 questions. He answers maybe eight of them. He himself asks 307. Maybe faith isn't about certainty, but learning to ask and sit in the complexity of good questions.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that there's, um, you know, the, there's great knowledge and wisdom on the other side of exploration. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes what we want is we want certainty without exploration. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I don't think the answer is uh, remove all certainty. Like, I, I think there are things that we can go, man, I'm, I'm certain I believe this. Like, mm-hmm. uh, faith is the assurance <laughs> of things not seen. Uh, and so, I think we have to understand what are those essentials of our faith and what are those things where we have sort of Christian liberty, where we can go, we can understand and think about this differently. And I think that historically, uh, in conservative evangelicalism in the West, curiosity has been a little bit of a, yeah, like it's been a dangerous idea. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you look at the Hebraic mind and the way that folks would have been taught in the school of rabbinical teaching, that Jesus was functioning within, curiosity was actually rewarded. Mm-hmm. It was there by design. Mm-hmm. So they had core essentials. They had non they had um, uh, non negotiable essentials, but then they had a much bigger list of things that were sort of like open for conversation. And Jesus was great about sort of just seamlessly going from one to another in a way that I think for us, it's like, here's the textbook, yeah, don't, don't think about this for mm-hmm, yourself, yeah. don't do any of the work, just read it, believe it, live it. And that is, you know, a pretty compartmentalized Western way of thinking. We want people to have orthodox faith, uh, but we also want people to have an orthodox faith that can be rigorous. And the only way that faith can be rigorous is if people have done the work to discover it in part for themselves. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, my mind jumps to process. How,
0: how are you arriving at your conclusions? Mm. Where are you in that process? And I don't know, Phil, do you think Jesus cares more about getting the right answer or the process of discovering the right answer?
2: Ooh. Um, I mean, I think that it's not a binary. Like I think mm-hmm. um, I, th- I think Jesus longs for us more than anything else to be in an uh, increasingly deepening relationship mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, with him and with others. I think that... Um, you know there's there's great work of what process looks like. And I think that probably over the last however many decades, it's been an easy thing for Christian subculture to prioritize the answer mm-hmm. and deprioritize the process. Mm-hmm. I think sort of the the trendy thing right now, is to prioritize the process and to be darned with the, the right answer, mm-hmm. um, there are right answers. <laughs> like there They actually, you know, this idea of like, I'm not sure Jesus was a literal person. That's, that's a big problem, mm-hmm. right? I'm not sure Jesus <laughs> literally came back from the dead. That's a big deal. Like, yeah. inside of Christian faith, that would matter a lot. Um, but asking the question, wrestling it to the ground, man, like, I want you to be able to do that. We have men and women that have been doing this work longer than any of us have been alive, for literal millennia. And so, uh, I just love that church history and the testimony of Jesus' followers can stand up to the scrutiny. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, if you go, I I just want to live into the process, yeah, I would say that that reflects sort of a new age, there is no ending point philosophy that I think we need to be concerned about. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think if we go, well, you don't need to process because that's dangerous, just swallow this. Uh, I think that is a convenient Western way of usually instituting power uh, over a relationship. Yeah. So, I think it, it's probably a, um, a balance of both. Yeah, mm. definitely.
0: And this must have been a very interesting message for you to try to put together because it's very unique in the way that you've presented four different and opposing ideas to each other <laughs> under the context of we're on this journey together to figure out – how to have conversations around this. So how did you wrestle through preparing for this message? And how is it different than messages, let's say from the last series? Yeah, I
2: mean, when you, uh, I have some friends in town uh, from Colorado and uh, they, they were like, it was like a it was like a college class. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in some ways it kind of is. Like when yeah. you do talks like this, um, you know, for me, if, if you think about it from a preaching perspective, I actually think about services this way too. You think about it like a funnel, and so uh, the, the beginning is the biggest part of the funnel, like how do we just get everybody here? How do we uh, try to help everybody feel like this can be a conversation that they are qualified to have, that maybe they're interested in having? Mm-hmm. And so part of the work of that gets set before I ever walk up, right? That's a bumper video, that's graphics, that's the way the rest of the service has been stewarded. Um, and then you know, going to the flannel graph, talking through kind of the Genesis account, that is such like an all skate, everybody gets it. <laughs> Even if they didn't grow up in church, they have heard those words before. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think just acknowledging the tension uh, that exists, like why are we talking about this? Uh, And then there's two main types of uh, preaching that happen. Uh, One is called inductive, where you wait till the very end and you sort of release the main idea to people. The other one is called deductive, which is um, here is the main idea that I'm gonna keep telling you over and over again. That's more the type that I lean into. And so that line, who matters more, more than how and why yeah. matters more than when. That I said a few times, and then I slowly expanded and, and tried to break down more and more. That's that's um, uh, really a, a modified form of a deductive approach. And then I tried to start with where do we all agree? Like not just Christians, but actually non-Christians and Christians. This idea of Goldilocks zone and fine tuning, um, unmoved mm-hmm. mover theory that the universe has a beginning and highlight the fact that not like Bible history, just history history tells us that's a new concept. Like that's less than a hundred years old. We've all thought that way. And the Bible has been telling us that for thousands mm-hmm. of years. So that's pretty cool. Like it's worth mm-hmm. acknowledging that. Uh, and then the four views is helpful because there's great resources out there and I try to point people to stuff if it's like hey if this is the most you've ever done on it and you just need a few weeks to process the last 20 Mm -hmm. minutes cool but if you're like yeah this is all beginner stuff where do I go now I try to give people a few breadcrumbs Mm -hmm. Um, and I will tell people where I stand on stuff like I just think people are going to guess if I don't tell them But I also try not to strawman the other arguments. Like Mm -hmm. I try to communicate them in a way that's equitable and kind. Uh, And then what you'll see over and over again is once we do that, once we talk about sort of the specific subject, um, we're going to go, hey, where is Jesus in the middle of this? How do we find the gospel in the midst of this uh, Old Testament narrative? We believe Jesus is is really written through the entire Bible. Uh, Spurgeon says you should... Uh, doesn't matter what passage you're in like teach the passage and then make a beeline for the cross and i've always Mm -hmm. uh, really resonated Mm -hmm. with that he probably used a a different phrase than beeline but you get the idea (laughs) uh and then adam this week will uh he'll use some specific questions right i think his first question is like is it true like is this story true and Mm -hmm. he does a great job kind of breaking down some various views there so Mm -hmm. i think you'll see some of this type of framing um throughout the series And then we'll kind of consistently land at what do we do with it? And hopefully the Lectio Divina work will also help people both in a service and in their personal lives uh, think about these stories in ways that they haven't before.
1: Yeah, Hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that Lectio Divina and our our resources for this series? For
2: sure, yeah. So, if you go to uh, slash. the rest of the story, Uh, you'll find kind of all the resources as they uh, exist for the series now, and if we add anything over the course of the summer, Uh, including specific passages to uh, try this Lectio Divina uh, spiritual practice with, um, and kind of a write-up of it. But think about it, uh, I talked about it this weekend, think about it um, like the difference between information transmission, uh, which is sometimes the way our prayers can become reduced down to, uh, versus sort of spiritual teleportation. That's overly reductionistic. But uh, everybody does it a little bit different. Um, but like this weekend, you know, I tried to go, hey, like, let's take ourselves for a moment actually into the text, right? And it's a little hard to say what did uh, a formless and void universe smell like. That's a little harder. <laughs> <laughs> it might be um, that hmm. when uh, you're thinking about this text uh, for this upcoming week around the flood right and you're reading a passage and praying through it you're envisioning yourself literally on the ark like with mm. noah you're thinking about the anxiety that he is bringing to it you're thinking about the mix of hope for the future and mm. horror for what's just happened and responsibility right and you're just letting the humanity of the text the the feelings the smells the textures the light all of it, kind of sort of absorb into your senses because we believe, I believe that these things actually happened. And so, even if you go, hey, my understanding of this text is different, cool, like bring yourself to your understanding of the Mm -hmm. text um, and let yourself actually live into it. If you've never tried this experience of prayer before, um, it's really, I would say, it's a great way uh, to finish Bible study. So, if you've never done mm-hmm. this before, to be able to study a passage, to be able to do some work, what does this mean? What does this mean? This, And then finish that Bible study in an exercise of Lectio Divina where you can kind of go, wow, I, I just sort of got some colors out of the crayon box I'd never used in this story before. And now I get to kind of put myself onto the page <coughs> in a way that I know. And this is not narcissistic exegesis. Like we're not, we're not becoming the hero of the story. We're just humbly placing ourselves as an observer in the story, mm. and then going, All right, Jesus, what did you have to teach this character, this group of people, this situation? And what are those principles for me today? It sounds fun. It can be, yeah. And I think it can or be more challenging. challenging. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it can be really challenging, right? <laughs> I think, um, you know, one of the things that we'll talk about this upcoming week, um, you know, around, uh, I think, this idea of Noah, and we see it over and over again in the Hebrew scriptures. Is a, is a principle of God that we don't talk a lot about, which is God as judge. Hmm. And uh, this idea that like we are consistently trying to work backwards from like, does God really have to do that? I would say maybe the, hmm. the most common sort of deconstruction idea right now is that um, hell either does not exist or it's uh, not eternal. And so Hmm. there's some version of either um, something called annihilationism, where those who don't have a relationship with Jesus will eventually just no longer exist. Um, I find that a very difficult concept to find in the Bible. Or uh, they'll say, well, eventually everyone will become a Christian, like eventually in eternity, everyone will become a Christian. That was sort of Rob Bell's book, Love Wins. That was kind of the um, Mm -hmm. punchline of the book. Uh, Again, like that's not, I, I would argue that's not the testimony of the scriptures. I would want it to be the testimony that's like, yeah. a, that's what I'm rooting for. Mm-hmm. But this idea of what we see in uh, in Noah of God bringing temporary short-term judgment for long-term redemption, we see that so often in the Hebrew <laughs> scriptures of like, it's this big, divine, massive societal level plan. And when we go, God, I wouldn't have done it that way. Mm-hmm. The text continues to respond with, a, the, well, his ways are not your ways. <laughs> You know, he's greater than you are. And so, t- to be able to ch- chase it down and wrestle it, fantastic. But if I'm working, and I talked about it this weekend, if I'm working backwards from a uh, in- intellectually arrogant bias that says, God, you bow to me, I would just say we should be careful about that mm-hmm. when we come to the text. We should, be, we should be approaching it with, God, you've given me a brain, I want to use my brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've given me a heart, I want to use my heart. And I still want you to be on the throne of my life. Would you help me to see it in this passage?
1: Yeah, It's
2: a great approach and a great framework. I'm thinking
0: about 4th of July coming up, people traveling back home, conversations around that table, that barbecue picnic (laughs) table. How can we approach those conversations with this top of mind of, man, we're going to have conversations with people that probably don't agree with us What's some great framework for that? What's some tips that you might have for us to be able to navigate those conversations well?
2: Yeah, there's a um, uh, a pod or a blog from <coughs> Carrie Newhoff who does a podcast. Uh, we'll probably link it in the show notes. I bet. Sure. Um, and it's it's helpful. It's kind of written for church leaders. Uh, But I think it's really helpful as you're thinking about that type of a situation. He gives a a list of things to think about. Um, But, you know, the first one is remember that deconstruction doesn't always lead to deconversion, that like... Again, this is the don't freak out part. Mm -hmm. Like, we we actually can hang for a minute. Uh, Number two, know that, well, you are no longer an authority. You can be a guide. And I think even sometimes if you're like the church person in your family, Mm -hmm. and years past, people would like come to you and be like, you're the Christian one. You know this answer. Mm -hmm. Honestly, now, what may have felt like an asset 30 years ago feels like a liability today Mm -hmm. and so how do you come alongside as the guide to say i'm gonna lead with questions like jesus did. i'm gonna be patient i'm gonna be kind i'm gonna be here and ready when they are um you know avoid he says avoid triumphalism don't be defensive glib superficial you know we all know how to win an argument that we actually don't believe ourselves and i think sometimes when you're talking with someone who's asking legitimate difficult questions of their faith uh and we're just kind of giving them the answer we know that will end the conversation but that we don't even fully believe ourselves that's not helpful mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i don't know is a perfectly reasonable answer let's discover that together yep. i'd love that that's a great question like those are all way better answers um, Uh, Number four, stop judging, be sincere to open questions. I think that's uh, great. Find the story. I think a lot of this is about what is the actual reason for where people are at. It's rarely theological. It's rarely theological. I would say more often it's about pain from their past that has gone unaddressed. Uh, mm-hmm. Encourage people to follow the logical trail. Like mm-hmm. uh, I've heard it said, in the free marketplace of ideas, truth wins. And I think deconversion can sometimes be like, well, once I've lost my faith, now I'm categorized. I am now one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but continuing to challenge people. Like, hey, maybe maybe the version of faith that you grew up with is not the version of faith you're going to carry into adulthood. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. And so, there are great books, Reason for God. Uh, Tim Keller, mm-hmm. uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis that are that are mm-hmm. thoughtful kind of uh, treatise on core Christianity that is not trying to beat people over the head with a narrow view. Uh, and then seven, read more deeply. I think this is actually a huge part of what we're thinking about right now as we understand deconversion is uh, we just have a lot of people that have read a handful of pretty entry level things. They've read other people's chewed up process mm. and they're going, I guess I'll take that person's word for it. And, um, you know, there's a great book called uh, The Shallows that's basically just talking about, it's not a Christian book, it's basically just talking about how uh, surface level we've all become. And so I think for those of us that are following Jesus, our faith has got to continue to be more fully integrated in our life. We live in a culture that is more and more. Uh, walking away from a biblical framework for understanding. And if you think you're going to swim in that water 99.9% of your week and 0.1% of your time Mm -hmm. is going to be, okay, Jesus, what do you have to say about my life? I'll tell you which one of those formation channels is going to win. It's a pretty easy conversation, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. And so, I think we need to do that work. And then I think lovingly encouraging others like, Mm -hmm. hey, you are giving a lot, a lot of your personal formation and integration over to TikTok and I just don't think it's working, right? Mm -hmm. And finding kind ways to call that out in other people. Um, oftentimes, the I, I was in a group of people where they were talking about how sort of the new atheists, which was a movement of people, Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, um, let's call it 10 years ago, that were very much in vogue. And there was this idea of, well, they could find these in this house of cards of modern Christianity, they could find these cards and pull it out. Um, and that's true, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. absolutely true. I would argue the, the modern atheists have become the same way. Like, the modern uh, kind of, we'll call it secular atheists, have become just as fragile and just as rigid in their worldview as they were critiquing Christians 10 mm-hmm. or 15 years ago with. Interesting. And so, I would argue it actually just takes one card pull of that worldview as well. And sometimes it's just learning enough about that. To be able to dive into it. There's a great book called The Problem of God by Mark Clark. That's kind of his uh, mm-hmm. approach in that is to sort of look at the secular worldview and, and lovingly, kindly be able to pull some fabric of it. So, I, I will link that blog, but it's helpful. Carrie brings great frameworks to stuff. He's he's a thoughtful leader. So, great. Well, what
0: else, Phil? Anything else that you want to
2: speak about yeah, the I mean, series I, in general or? I, I, hope that, um, I hope that for people uh, I hope that for people that have sort of – there's two types of people in church. There's the people um, that are like, hey, I'm in here, this is just kind of what I do, I've stopped thinking about it, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I have – I talked about it this weekend, like I have faith-based questions that have faith-based answers, and then I have like science-based questions that have science-based answers, and I I just think those categories are overly reductionistic. I would say uh, the Bible and God can handle your scrutiny. <laughs> the Bible and God can handle mm-hmm. your scrutiny. He wants your questions. One of my favorite books in the whole Bible is the book of Habakkuk uh, mm. in the Hebrew Scriptures, and Habakkuk like goes at it with God, like mm-hmm. has very difficult, hard conversations, brings serious objections, and God meets him there. Uh, you know, God doesn't wear the kid gloves. Uh, basically his first line to Habakkuk is like, put a cup on. Like, it's a, it's a serious conversation. <laughs> wow. um, but it's about to go down. I mean, it's, it's crazy. But it, like, it just frees us, I hope, to say, God can handle it. Mm-hmm. You don't You don't have to go like, my faith is so fragile. If you feel that way, that's more about how you're pursuing it than how it exists. And then I think there's another group of people hmm. that are slowly, maybe they're not changing their physical seat, in the room, in a campus, or they're not—they're not, they're not uh, you know, sitting further away from the screen watching church online. But they are emotionally moving further and further to the back door. Mm-hmm. Every week, they're kind of going, ah, this formation stuff of following Jesus. Like I'm—I'm I'm less and less interested, and this other stuff, these other pressures, these other things—they're—they're they're drawing me more and more. And I hope that these conversations this summer uh, give you reason to step back closer to Jesus being on the throne of your life um, because he's the one that's actually designed to be there and everything and everyone else that you try to place on the throne of your life, and there's only one throne, um, it will disappoint you. It will let you down because it's not built uh, to handle who you are. You're created in the image of an all-knowing, all-powerful creator God. And when we say, yeah, but like, I want this other human being to be the leader of my life. I want this other worldview, this other ideology, this other pursuit, this other possession. Man, I mean, even when we say it out loud, it doesn't sound like it makes sense, but we often don't examine it. So hopefully this summer will be a chance to examine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Phil. Thanks for opening up this series. Thank you for all the work that you've done and also for giving some opportunities for people like Adam and other
2: perspectives to go ahead and chip in as well. I'm Mm -hmm. super excited for that. Yeah. yeah, We're going to hear from Adam this summer, Cheryl, and Scott. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think it'll be, it'll be great. Looking forward to hearing them. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a fun series. It'll be a change of pace at summer. And I think it'll hopefully give us a little bit of a framework that in the summer we'll, we'll be thinking about this content a little bit different to say, Hey, if this is going to be content that is sort of serialized, where it's not just for folks that are sitting in the room or watching on that weekend, but we go, we want this to be useful and helpful Mm -hmm. as a part of the catalog of teaching at Menlo for a year from now. How do we create content in the summer that really Mm -hmm. understands itself that way?
1: Yeah, I just want to add, I think a big thing, too, that can happen in this kind of process is... Like I said earlier, like kind of being mad at who, you know, how you were taught in the church and stuff like that, but you can also be mad at yourself. And I, I struggled with this when I first started this whole journey of, you know, deconstruction for lack of a better term. And so I just want to encourage, like, give yourself grace because we're all human. We all learn things in new ways and different ways. And then I think the, you know, the big key of the growing up with your faith is so important and I I know for me like my 20s was so stagnant in my faith like I just was like that's what I was taught and this is what it is and then all of a sudden my you know early to mid thirties came along and it's like, actually, there's a lot of stuff that I feels like Jesus is about this, but I was taught this. Mm -hmm. And so there was some pain of like, I can't believe I was taught it that way. And I can't believe I'm in my mid thirties and just now relearning this. And so just, yeah, give yourself grace and time. And this isn't going to change overnight you're not going to wake up tomorrow and be like wow i know all these new things it's a lifelong process and journey so give yourself the space find a great community if you don't have one of people who are dealing with the same kind of things and wrestling with that kind of stuff God wants us to wrestle with him God wants us to ask those ask those questions um so yeah just give yourself the time and the space and the grace to go through all of this
2: and if you don't feel any of that if you're like i have no tension in my faith i hope that this series gives you something yeah uh cuz <laughs> you know we are an anti-fragile people like if we face challenges and we face it in community with healthy guides what actually happens is our faith and our life can get stronger Mm. but because of emotional reasoning we avoid pain and we go well i I don't have a problem so i'll just kind of no problem just just you know, sure. just keep swimming just keep swimming mm-hmm. um and i think that one of the greatest lines for that that's like a symptom of that problem i talked about this weekend from tim keller if you worship mm-hmm. a god who never disagrees with you you may just be dis- worshiping an idealized version of yourself i i think that is such an important statement yeah. because mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of us i have no tension in mm-hmm. my understanding of god like you should, <laughs> you, there should be some inherent yeah. tension. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't do it that way. God, that should be a part of uh, fallen humanity, exploring a perfect mm-hmm. and universal. Or,
1: That's uh, exactly it. God. Like you're not God in right. your mind, cannot even begin to grasp God's mind. Correct. And so you have to, there is tension no matter what.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm thinking of Jesus in the garden and
2: how he experienced tension in that mm-hmm. moment too. Right. Yeah. I mean, sweating blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah. God, Jesus, is there a, is there a, or God is, Father, is there another way? Is there a yeah. plan B yeah. available? Yeah. And mm-hmm. like, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. The mm-hmm. best mm-hmm. sermon I've ever heard on prayer, ever, 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 it came from Alistair Begg. Respect him a lot, like him as a communicator. Um, and he preached that passage, and it was jaw dropping. Just mm-hmm. an incredible, incredible message about that. So, yeah. Well, lots to look forward to. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Bill. Welcome back, buddy. Thank you.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Bye, everybody. Bye. Have a good week.